Good morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. Following Yom Kippur, the holiest day in the Jewish calendar, the day of repentance, the holiday of Sukkot comes. It officially begins five days after Yom Kippur ends. Often, Sukkot celebrates the gathering of the harvest and commemorates the miraculous protection God provided for the children of Israel when they left Israel. We celebrate uh, Sukkot in many different ways. Um, One of them is that we uh, have a special Torah portion. And we are going to discuss that special Torah portion, but a few more words about Sukkot. The origins of Sukkot are found in the ancient autumnal harvest festival. It's indeed often referred to as Chag Ha'asif, the harvest festival. Much of the imagery and ritual of the holiday revolves around rejoicing and thanking God for the completed harvest. The sukkah, or sometimes known as the tabernacle, represents the huts that farmers would live in during the last hectic period of harvest before the coming of the winter rains. As in the case with other festivals whose origins may not have been Israelite, the Bible, the Torah, reinterpreted the festival to imbue it with a specific Jewish meaning. In this manner, Sukkot became the festival to commemorate the wanderings of the Israelites in the desert after the revelation at Mount Sinai, with huts representing the temporary shelters that the Israelites lived in during those 40 years. Many of the most popular rituals of Sukkot are practiced in the home and not in the synagogue. As soon after the conclusion of Yom Kippur as possible, often on the same evening, one is enjoined to begin building the sukkah or hut that is the central symbol of the holiday. The sukkah is a flimsy structure with at least three sides, whose roof is made out of thatch or branches known as schak, which provides some shade and protection from the sun but also allows the stars to be seen at night. It is traditional to decorate the sukkah and to spend as much time in it as possible. Weather permitting, meals are eaten in the sukkah, and the hardia among Israelites and modern-day Jews may also elect to sleep in the sukkah. In a welcoming ceremony called Ushpazin, ancestors are symbolically invited to partake in the meals with the family and their guests. In commemoration of the bounty of the Holy Land, the tradition is that we hold and shake four species of plants, known in Hebrew as the Arbaminin, consisting of the palm, 
the leaves of the palm, the leaves of the myrtle, and the leaves of the lulav. Together, they're called a lulav, that's willow, and they are joined with what looks like a large lemon called an etrog. Sukkot is a seven-day festival in the Torah. Some observe it for eight days. And the intermediate days, the days that come between the second and the seventh day, are called intermediate, or in Hebrew, chol ha'omed. During the intermediate days of Sukkot, one is allowed to pursue normal activities. One is nevertheless supposed to hold and wave the lulav and etrog on a daily basis, eat one's meals in the sukkah, and continue to dwell in the sukkah for the remainder of the holiday. And as one might anticipate, given that it's a seven-day holiday, Shabbat often falls within the seven days, sometimes two Shabbatot. And so there are special Torah readings, one for the first and last day of Sukkot, and one if there is an intermediary uh, Shabbat. On the intermediary Shabbat, the primary Torah portion is from Exodus 33, beginning with verse 12, and concludes with Exodus 34, verse 26. In this shortened reading, specific to Sukkot, God agrees to Moses' request that his presence only dwell among the Jews, and Moses requests to be shown God's glory. God agrees, but informs Moses that he will only be shown God's back and God, not God's face. God tells Moses to carve new tablets upon which God will engrave the Ten Commandments. This follows the episode of the golden calf in which Moses broke the tablets. And Moses takes the new tablets up to Mount Sinai, where God reveals his glory to Moses while proclaiming his 13 attributes of mercy. God seals a covenant with Moses, assuring him that his presence will only dwell with the Israelites. God informs the Israelites that the Jewish people will be the vanguard into the land of Canaan. He instructs them to destroy all vestiges of idolatry from the land, not to make golden molten gods, to refrain from making any covenants with current inhabitants, to sanctify firstborn humans and cattle, and not to cook milk and meat together. At the end of the reading, the only time it's mentioned The Jews are commanded to observe the three festivals, including the holiday of Sukkot. The Torah refers to the festival of ingathering at the turn of the year. And the concluding verses of this week's uh, reading, Cholah Moed Sukkot, the concluding verses known as the Maftir, which is from the book of Numbers, not from Exodus, Uh, discusses the public offerings brought in the temple on this day of Sukkot. With me this morning to discuss the Torah portion for the intermediate days of Sukkot is Rabbi Neil Borovitz, 
Rabbi Borovitz is the Rabbi Emeritus of Temple Avodat Shalom in River Edge, New Jersey. He's a columnist for the Jewish Standard of Northern Jersey and uh, vice chair of the Jewish Council for Public Affairs. Welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, Rabbi Borovitz. Thank you uh, very much, uh, and uh, Rabbi Garden. And it's uh, good to be with you uh, on this call. Chag uh, Sameach, a happy holiday. And Sukkah is uh, uh, this wonderful festival uh, that is actually the origin of uh, uh, North American Thanksgiving, uh, because the pilgrims, when they first came uh, to America, uh, wanted to give thanks uh, for the bounty of their harvest, uh, and being uh, very well-versed in the, in the Bible, knew that uh, Sukkot was the holiday of Thanksgiving. Well, it's interesting that you begin that way because, um, as you know, the show originates in Canada and the Canadian Thanksgiving takes place um, in October, much closer to Sukkot than the uh, American Festival of Thanksgiving, which takes place in November. And I've often thought um, that the origins of uh, the Canadian Thanksgiving certainly resonate with Sukkot. Um, and it's one of the reasons in America, in the United States, uh, almost everybody um, sees the uh, importance of Thanksgiving, regardless of race or creed or nation of origin. But in Canada, there's this um, slightly inadvertent competition between uh, the community of uh, Jews celebrating Sukkot and the nation celebrating its own Thanksgiving. So that's interesting you begin that way. And we should continue by asking the question, um, the listeners have already noted that um, we read from Exodus on this uh, Shabbat in the middle of Sukkot. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are with regard to uh, reading this section in honor of Sukkot. Uh it's absolutely fascinating that this is the uh, Torah portion for the Sabbath of Sukkot, and actually also the Sabbath uh, during Passover. Uh, and it uh, is the passage in Exodus 34 uh, where Moses ascends Mount Sinai uh, for the second time after the shattering of the Ten Commandments at the uh, drama of the Golden Calf. And uh, so it's all about renewal, about uh, opportunities that uh, we can always begin again. And the Jewish uh, Judaism, uh, according to uh, the classic rabbinic text, the Mishnah, actually says there's four different New Year's days uh, during the year. Uh, and one of them is the uh, beginning of uh, Nisan, the the month that Passover falls in. Uh, the month most commonly understood is the beginning of uh, Tishrei, Rosh Hashanah, uh, which comes uh, two weeks before Sukkot. Uh, the third is Tu uh, Bishvat, uh, the 15th day of the month uh, in late winter, early spring, which is called the New Year of the Trees. And the fourth is actually 
uh, the first of the last month of uh, what's usually considered the last month of the year, Elul, uh, which is the date, uh, according to Jewish tradition, that Moses ascended Mount Sinai the second time. And Moses stays up there 40 days, and when he comes down from Mount Sinai 40 days later, that would be Yom Kippur. So while uh, Judaism, uh, the Bible teaches us uh, that Moses uh, received the Ten Commandments uh, in uh, late spring, early summer on the holiday of uh, Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, it actually isn't until Yom Kippur that that the people, uh, the uh, original uh, Israelites who left Egypt, actually received the, uh, the Ten Commandments. And then we get into this fascinating passage uh, that when Moses climbs up this second time, he hears uh, uh, this call about, uh, he, he, repeat, he, he, he hears this call uh, that begins uh, with the word, word God, God, uh, merciful God, compassionate God. So and for the listeners 30- who might be following along in a text, this is Exodus 34, verse 6. Adonai, Adonai, el rachum v'chanum is the way it starts in Hebrew. Go ahead, sorry. Right. No, that's okay. Thanks, Thanks Steve. So the uh, so these thirteen attributes uh, that are read as part of the Torah reading uh, this Sabbath also form the core of the Yom Kippur liturgy. We keep appealing to God, uh, asking God to be compassionate and merciful, uh, to extending kindness, uh, forgiving our iniquity, our transgressions, and our sins. And in turn, this whole month of holy days uh, in, in Jewish tradition is a time when uh, we as individuals are commanded to do just that, that we're commanded to try to emulate uh, in asking God for forgiveness. We're also commanded uh, to grant forgiveness to anyone we've wronged and to seek forgiveness uh, from people we may have wronged uh, during the year. And even uh, in the liturgy, it expands it to say uh, intentionally or unintentionally, uh, uh, overtly or inadvertently. Uh, so we all recognize we're imperfect people, and we live in an imperfect world. And we affirm, really, that the, only, the ultimate source of perfection is God, but we can't be God. Uh, but we can always try to be our best, to do our best. So that uh, this this liturgy, uh, this Torah passage that becomes so central into the liturgy, uh, is a reminder uh, that we have to be a little humble, uh, as well as being grateful, and that even though we can't be perfect, we can all do better. And if every one of us does better, uh, then we can make the world a little better. There's a wonderful... Uh, teaching in uh, a tractate of uh, this Mishnah, which is this second century code of Jewish law, uh, in the tractate called Avot, uh, Our our Ancestors, uh, where there's a rabbi who says, 
that the time is short, Rabbi Tarpon, the time is short, the task is, of redeeming the world is great, and even though we may not live to see its completion, every one of us is obligated to work toward it. So you've, so you've introduced a, a number of interesting notions about this Torah portion. One that you've um, just taken for granted is that at the end of the Torah portion, we're reminded of the three pilgrimage festivals. In verse 22 of Exodus 34, it simply says, you shall observe the Feast of Weeks, the first fruits of the wheat harvest, and the Feast of Ingathering, and three times a year all your mail shall appear before the Lord. And so that would be the logical connection in the Torah portion between Sukkot and this uh, section of Exodus, but you've gone beyond that. You've suggested that really this Torah portion um, is a connection to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, which the Jewish world have just uh, completed their observance, and you've pointed out this uh, powerful recitation of the attributes of God, which tradition has counted 13, um, as the uh, most important uh, connection. In addition, if I heard you correctly, you've reminded the listeners that Rosh Hashanah and uh, Yom Kippur are days in which we uh, have a cheshbon hanefesh, kind of an accounting of our soul, not of our finances, but of our soul. And we look at ways that we can um, change our life. Return is the word in English for tshuva, return to a way that you'd like to be. And you've connected that, interestingly enough, to this um, second set of tablets uh, and seem to suggest, if I heard you correctly, that this Torah portion is a reminder to the listeners who uh, worship on the Shabbat of uh, Sukkot that there's always an opportunity for redemption, for returning. Uh, That's a wonderful insight and certainly makes it more obvious as to why we would read this portion on uh, on the day of uh, Sukkot. So I want to thank you for that. Um, but I also want to um, ask you uh, to respond to um, verse 26. Um that we have what many people would suggest is um, the origins of the Jewish notion of um, kashrut, of uh, how one eats. And we find in verse 26, um, the first part of the verse says, the choice fruits of your soil you shall bring to the house the Lord your God. We understand that. That fits with this whole notion of a harvest festival, but the B part of the uh, verse, the second section of the verse, is you shall not boil a kid in its mother's milk, which seems quite at odds with the rest of the Torah portion or of the rest of verse 34, and I'm wondering how you understand that, and I want to make sure there's time for us 
to um, look at the end of the portion where we can talk about uh, Michelangelo's Moses. So let's start with um, verse 26. You shall not boil a kid in its mother's milk. How do you see that fitting in uh, with this Torah portion and with Sukkot, if it does? You see, it's fascinating because that passage is repeated three other times. And it almost never totally fits in. And rabbinic traditions always have a, a difficulty with it, the idea of the separation. Uh, it's the origin of the separation of uh, not eating uh, milk and meat at the same meal. Uh, that's how it evolves, and ultimately, in, uh, as, as we, as I do, uh, my wife and I do in our home, we have two sets of dishes and two sets of pots and pans, etc., uh, cooking everything separately. That's part of how it evolved. Uh, I remember uh, our uh, Bible teacher, Hanan Brichto, uh, commenting on this one time, and he, uh, he said, uh, that he believed this uh, goes back to uh, the whole, another idea in Kashrut that we don't eat the blood of the animal, that we, uh, the way kosher slaughtering happens, it's to drain it out. And uh, Rabbi Bricto uh, taught uh, one time that he said that just as blood is the life force of every human being, the milk of the calf is the life force uh, 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 the milk of the cow, uh, the mother cow, is the life force of that animal. So as a sign of respect and kavod. Uh, it also may be just a sense of this became a Jewish uh, ritual, maybe in opposition to uh, customs of, uh, that were going on in other uh, societies around them, because sometimes we find rituals uh, in different religious faiths uh, as means of distinction. Uh, for example, uh, Jews cover uh, our heads when we uh, enter uh, a house of prayer. Uh, in many, most Christian communities, taking off your hat when you enter a house of prayer is a way of showing respect. Both are vehicles for respect, but they're distinctive and different. Well, that's a wonderful answer. Um, I suppose that we could say it's anomalistic with regard to Sukkot, although certainly the A part of the verse seems to fit with Sukkot. And if the Torah is telling us about um, offering thanksgiving through our uh, sacrifices, um, and recognizing the blessings we have from an agricultural society. It's not a large leap to also recognize the blessings that we have from the uh, uh, husbandry of animals. Um, and that the teacher that you quoted, Hanan Brichto, was suggesting that, um, you know, 
plants don't necessarily have blood uh, as their um, source of nutrition. They have the soil and the rain and the weather that comes from God. Um, and there's a similarity there. And I appreciate you offering that insight. I want to make sure in these last five minutes that we look at the concluding verses, which have become so well known uh, to um, the world through um, the art of Michelangelo. So verse 29 um, reads as follows in English. And Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and as Moses came down from the mountain, bearing the two tablets of the pact, so this is the second uh, set of tablets, um, the first having been broken by Moses at the incident of the golden calf, Moses was not aware that his skin of his face was radiant since he had spoken with him referring to God. Aaron and all the Israelites saw that the skin of Moses' face was radiant, and they shrank from coming near him. Now, um, often um, this radiance is reflected in artwork, um, sometimes um, with Moses being surrounded in uh, art by uh, a halo or sometimes a background, but in uh, Michelangelo's portrayal, um, Moses has uh, horns. Um, what's your understanding of how the horns uh, ended up in Moses's head um, from this section, which is really not connected to Sukkot, but fits in this Torah portion that will be read uh, on right. Sukkot? So uh, the word for the radiant, it's... Uh, and the word for horn have the same uh, Hebrew root, kufresh uh, nun. And so uh, what happened was there was mis uh, a misunderstanding, mistranslation. Uh, and probably uh, if, as I recall from another one of our uh, our teachers, Steve, uh, Sam Sandmel, who was really the expert on Jewish-Christian uh, textual uh, comparisons uh, that uh, in the uh, and I don't know Greek and Latin very well, but I remember him teaching us that uh, it was probably a mistranslation a misunderstanding and so there was this idea that uh, there was horns uh, when, it was when it was a radiance and the image of, you know, Moses was certainly at this moment, uh, having come through an amazing mystical experience. Uh, and the people recognized that uh, his ascent uh, to Sinai to receive Torah had dramatically changed him. So he had a different look about him, as many people do, after uh, some kind of dramatic uh, uh, experience or a traumatic experience that can change us in a negative way. Right. Our countenance and, reflects our intersection with the divine. Um, our time is up for this morning. I want to thank Rabbi Neil Borovitz, of, Rabbi Emeritus of Temple Avodat Shalom in River Edge, New Jersey, for sharing his insight and wisdom 
about this uh, Torah portion, which is read in sanctuaries throughout the Jewish world this week. Um, Our radio broadcast can be found as a podcast on iTunes or on the CHRI website, chri.ca. If you would like to write a question to Rabbi Borowitz or myself, you can use um, an email address, jff at chri.ca, and we will attempt to answer your questions either online or on the show. For Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. Again, thanking my guest, Rabbi Neil Barovitz, and uh, saying shalom and good morning. Behold.